Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about leading people onward in their Jesus journey. Good morning. The Lord is here with us. Amen. Come on. That's why we get together for church. You know that? Okay. Um, so I am just all my cards on the table this morning. I am trying to um, get my arms around something absolutely huge, probably too big, okay? But here is what um, I believe that even we as a church we are called to do is we've, we've, got to this, we've gotten to this point in our American version of Christianity or of our American culture where it's like the Bible becomes almost foreign. We're like, what is all this? And how do we read it? And how do we understand it? And so one of the things that we're passionate about is actually opening the Scripture in such a way where we infuse context and historicity and the biblical sort of full understanding and even archaeology in such a way that it comes alive because the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus, the actual Bible uh, that was written then is alive and active now. That's exactly right. And somebody back there might have to turn our lights up so people can follow along in their Bible. I don't know if somebody, oh look, he's working on it. Cool. Um, so that is, that's what we're about. And so I'm going to open something up this morning and we're going to attempt to sort of take a look at the entirety of scripture. We're going to do a flyover from Genesis all the way to the New Testament because guess what? The God of the old is also the God of the new. He's also the God of the now. His name is I am. That's how he introduced himself to Moses. I am. That means present, active. I was, I am, I will be, I am. He stands outside of time. So where we are this morning is we are in the middle of Acts, the book of Acts, and we are reading about, we've been reading about um, this guy named Stephen, and Stephen is preaching um, this like Holy Spirit empowered, like full of fire message to the most powerful religious people of the day. In fact, these people have the power to actually extinguish or exterminate his life. And he is full of boldness, full of confidence, full of the Holy Spirit, and he charges into something, and he opens up sort of some revelation that I want to see if we can open and get our arms around this morning. Does that sound good? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Stephen introduces something in chapter 7 um, called covenant. We're going to talk about that. And then he introduces this other thing called the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. Some of you are like, oh gosh. Hang with me. Then he transitions at the end of Acts 7, and he actually says, we're going to read it here in just a minute, but I want to take a look at it. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts are still uncircumcised. So he transitions into this idea of circumcision of the heart. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to um, define as we read in Acts, and then we're actually going to flip back to the Old Testament in Genesis and read a couple of passages in Deuteronomy. Um, but we're going to define what is covenant. Uh, we're going to define what was circumcision in the Old Testament, not the mechanics of it, but the why. What was God attempting to do in our heart? Then we're going to look at uh, circumcision of the heart in the New Testament, um, and then we're going to look at how can I know if my heart is actively being circumcised. And then we're going to take a quick look at the circumcision of the heart of the Lord Jesus. Okay? We've got a lot to get our arms around today. Some of you are like, oh gosh, I've never been to church or I've never been here. And what is this guy going to talk about? Don't worry. It's all about your heart. Okay? Um, if you have a Bible, um, turn to Acts 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one on that table out there as you leave. Um, if you don't have a Bible and want to open your app, open to BibleGateway.com or YouVersion, but like follow along because what you, are, what you want to engage with this morning is not the words of Michael Mattis, but rather the words of King Jesus. That's right. And this is his living word. And so one of the things that we even call our church to be and do is in the one-year Bible because I am convinced that if you will in a quiet unhurried space. I like the morning, but it could be the evening. It could be your lunch hour. It doesn't really matter. But if you will open the Word of God in perhaps that one-year Bible, there's many different ways to read the Bible, but I like the one-year Bible. If you will open it and in an unhurried way, just read through and let the Holy Spirit of God begin to speak to your heart. I am convinced that if you will incline your ear to Him, He will speak to you. He will quicken 
a verse, Old Testament or New Testament, Psalms or Proverbs, and you will begin to hear and you can begin to practice the very presence of the Lord Jesus. That's what this is all about. Sound good? Okay, so feel free to scroll if you're on your phone. Close your social media app and scroll away if you're looking in your paper Bible. We're in Acts chapter 7, and we're going to open this thing up. Okay, I'm going to read Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Then I'm going to skip to the end and read 51 um, through 53, also of Acts chapter 7. Okay, one more thing. Quote, guy that I love that lived in the 1800s. He was actually the pastor of the first biggest church, I think, um, in London. His name was Charles Spurgeon. Um, They call him the king of preachers. But here's what he said. He he said, the best of men, now if you're a female in here, don't get offended. Remember, this is like 18-something, so that just means human, right? The, The best of people are people at best. And apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of divine grace, hell itself does not contain greater monsters than you and I might become. The king of preachers. There he goes, laying it down. All right, I'm going to bring it back to that, so hang on to it. Acts 7, we're going to start in verse 1. The high priest asked Stephen. Now, Stephen is a young guy. He has just been um, put in charge. He's actually become a deacon, so his job is actually to serve. But he's super eloquent, so he's preaching this big sermon. Uh, Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? So he's in the the, the courtroom of the great Sanhedrin. He's under trial, really, for his life at this point. In verse 2, to this he replies, brothers and fathers. But do you hear the respect there? Brothers and fathers, like I love that respect. Listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Abraham's back in Genesis, if you don't know your Bible, first book of the Bible. While he was still in Mesopotamia. Now, you got to understand something. As Stephen is speaking to this crowd on this particular day, these guys that he was speaking to would have had the entirety of the first five books probably memorized, you know, fully. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would have, they would have known every bit of it. So the moment he says Abraham, they know everything he's talking about. Got it? Okay, so while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, verse 3, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. Now remember, Stephen's preaching a sermon. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. Israel, that's what he's saying. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on, but God promised that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. He's quoting what God said to Abraham. He's talking about the Israelites being imprisoned um, in Egypt, which happens at the end of Genesis and into Exodus. Um, I'm still in the latter part of verse 6. They will be enslaved and mistreated. Verse 7, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, talking about Egypt. God said, and afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. They're in Jerusalem. They're on the temple. That's what Stephen is sort of saying. They're going to worship them in this very place. Verse 8. Then God gave Abraham the covenant. 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 What in the world is covenant? All right, let's define it. Um, We live in a day and age where promises are broken so frequently they almost mean nothing. Right? Right? How many uh, marriages end in divorce? It's a, it's a promise that's made. It's a covenant that's made, and still people break promises. We live in a fallen world. Promises are broken. But a, a covenant is a um, formal, uh, solemn, binding agreement. Um, it's often a written agreement or promise, usually under a seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. So like if I rent a space from you or you from me or whatever, I'm going to sign um, a, a contract. So we would actually think of a covenant probably more like um, a signature and a notarization on a document. 
That's a covenant, okay? It's a commitment. It's a, it's a promise. Um, then Webster goes on to continue to define it, the common law action to recover damages for breach of such contracts. So if you break a contract, one person can basically sue the other person. That's what it's sort of saying. Does that make sense? So a covenant is this agreement between two parties where they come together and they're saying, I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. So God is making a covenant with Abraham where he's saying, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you this land of Israel. And Abraham is, is sort of receiving the promise of God thousand, a couple thousand years before it actually happened um, in his heart and he believed God. Okay, so now let's keep going. Then God uh, gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Now, I'm not going to open this up like mechanically, but Abraham became the father of Isaac and he circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Okay, so here's what I want to open um, for us. circumcision um, becomes a painful uh, physical act that involves the shedding of blood. Okay? This is really important. And I know if you've never heard or read the Bible or the Old Testament, you're kind of like, oh gosh, Just hang with me. Because this is so, um, it is absolutely so powerful. So what is um, circumcision? Circumcision is a painful physical act. It's literally the cutting away of a person's flesh. It involves the shedding of blood. Um, it's a representation of the seal of the covenant God made between Abraham and the people of God forever. My wedding band. It's a representation of what? Of my marriage. If I take it off, am I still married? Yes, because the covenant exists where? In my heart, you know? So it, 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 it's just this is an external symbol um, that, that reminds myself, tells Abby, reminds the world, tells the world, I am, I have entered into covenant marriage and relationship with you. So uh, circumcision becomes a seal of the covenant or an external sign. Remember how I said in worship, open your hand? Open your hand in worship. Why? Does it look, maybe it looks weird. Maybe it feels weird. Well, it becomes an external symbol of an interior heart posture. God, I choose to open my hand and praise you. I choose to give you glory. Things might be difficult in your life, and you go, God, I'm going to praise you. God, I'm going to worship you. Um, it becomes an external symbol of an internal heart posture. You see me do this a lot. I'll get on my knees just to praise or just to pray. It's an external symbol of an internal heart posture. Make sense? Okay. <clears throat> So circumcision became um, a promise or a sign in the Abrahamic, Abraham covenant. Um, and then there's a new covenant, and this gets all, it gets kind of murky here, but I'm going to kind of move through it. There's a new covenant called the Mosaic covenant. And under the Mosaic covenant, we are justified or made right with a holy and righteous God through the shedding of an animal, um, animal blood, the blood of a lamb. Make sense? So we've got blood covenant that begins to happen with Abraham. We've got blood covenant that begins to happen with Moses. And some of you, if you've never met Jesus or don't know this Jesus, you might go, why would Jesus have to die? Here it is. We're going to tie it all together, so hang with me. <clears throat> so let's, well, let me keep reading at the end of Acts, and then we're going to flip back to Genesis. So go to Acts 7, verse 51. So this is the very end of Stephen's life. I can't believe his courage here. He's talking to the most like, religious, prestigious people in the entire nation of Israel. And he says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still, what? Uncircumcised. What? You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. Who's he talking about? 
King Jesus, that's right, verse 53, you who have received the law that was given um, through angels, but you have not obeyed it. And then they're actually going to stone and kill Stephen. Okay, so here is what I'm opening up. Stephen preaches this powerful sermon, and like a great preacher, he brings up the idea that Abraham, God made a promise with Abraham. He made a promise called a covenant. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. And then he brings it back at the very end of his, his sermon or his message, and then he looks at him and he says, you people are uncircumcised in heart. What in the world does this mean? I'm so glad you asked. Let's take a look. All right. So, everybody take a deep breath. Okay, I'm flipping back. We had a hard week in our family this week, and I didn't get my scripture verses in time so they could be up on our screen, so you have my apology for that. Um, But flip that back to Genesis 17. Genesis 17. It's easy if you're scrolling on your phone. First book of the Bible, if you're in your paper Bible. Genesis 17. I'm going to read verse 10 and verse 11. This is literally the covenant God made with Abraham. I'm not going to read it all on your own time. Feel free. But this is Genesis 17, verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says. This is God speaking. This is my covenant with you. What's covenant? promise, but it's so much more than a promise. It's like a life and death promise. It's like an everything promise. It's an all-in, it can't be broken promise. Okay, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Okay, now skip down to verse 14. So the question is, if this, if God's made a covenant or a promise or a commitment to the people of God, and this is the sign of the covenant with the people of God, what happens if you don't obey the covenant? Let's look at verse 14. Genesis 17, verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So what happens? Driven out. They'd probably take some sticks and rocks and they'd start yelling at him and they'd chase the guy out of the camp. They'd chase him out of the city. They'd chase him out of the country. They'd say, go, 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 go. You're not part of covenant relationship with this holy and righteous God. You refuse to surrender your heart or or obey this holy and righteous God. Okay. Are you with me? Let me open something up before we go into Deuteronomy that I think will help you. And just like hang with me. Keep letting this thing unfold and marinate. Like we're making a big old, you know, stew in the oven for five or six hours, but I'm not going to go that long. Okay. One of the things that I think is, um, like there's so many things that are a blessing about our American modern society, right? Um, An industrialized nation. There's many, many blessings. But one of the things that I think is a massive detriment is we are separated completely um, from death and from blood, now, go with me here just a minute. I'm, I'm a fainter, by the way. I've fainted like 10 times. My, stuff, my, Abby's having a little procedure done or a meal, or one of, and I'm always like, oh, they, they, I've fainted more times. It's embarrassing, isn't it? So if you're, if you're squeamish, I'm sorry. But what, the downside of this industrialized nation that we lived in is we, we live in, our, we are totally separated from blood and the reality of death. So if you go to Publix, um, or if you go to Harris Teeter and you walk into the meat aisle. Now just go with me a second. You walk into the meat aisle, and we come first, and maybe we have the fish first. There's a salmon fillet. That salmon had to die so that you could live. And then you walk past there, and maybe there's some crab, or maybe there's some um, swordfish. That animal had to die. Blood had to be shed so that you could purchase it and eat and live. Okay, then you go on a little further and you come, maybe, maybe there was a, a sheep that had to be killed or a pig or a chicken or a cow. Okay, you, you following me? So we don't walk into Publix or Harris Teeter. There are these beautiful stores or like Whole Foods or whatever. You're like, oh, it's so nice. But you don't ever walk into the meat aisle and go, this place reeks of death. But guess what? 
You don't walk in and go look at everything that had to die so that all the people I'm watching who go buy things can live. And, and now let me also speak to another side of this equation or coin for just a minute. Um, if you would say, well, I'm a vegan. I don't use animal products. I would say something living still died so that you can sustain yourself. In other words, the bread you eat was harvested. The plant was killed. It was ground. It was made into grain. It was baked, and then you consume it. So one of the downsides of this nation that we live in, which is so amazing, I love this nation, but one of the downsides is that it's almost like we live in a cellophane Christianity or a cellophane society where we are so separated even from death. So even when someone uh, that we love dies, they come and take them away in an ambulance, and we never see anything, right? And the downside is our kids and our families are so separated. So, you know, one of the things that we've done in our family is uh, my wife, Abby, loves to fish. She's a much better fisherwoman than I am man. But one of the things that we've done, and I think it's, it's good for our kids to watch because we'll, we'll, we'll take, you know, she catches a flounder, I catch a flounder, we will fillet the flounder, and blood is shed. Then we take that, we're going to cut it up, we're going to cook it, and then we're going to eat it so that we can live. Okay, so you, you start to get this pattern, um, and our kids even begin to understand that life is taken, whether it's plant life or animal life, life is taken so that we can live. Okay, now, if you look at your feet, how many of us are wearing? And what are your shoes made of? Some of you. Leather. Something died so you could be clothed and live. Okay, so if we, how many of us are wearing belts in the room? How many of us are wearing leather belts? Did something die? Blood was shed. The, an the animal was processed. The hide was tanned so that we could be clothed and live. Okay, you got it. So there's this risk, um, and I was even sitting there this week just sort of thinking, but our refrigerators, don't you love a refrigerator? What a great invention. But they slow the process of death and decay. Fruit, vegetables, meat, dairy, everything, right? So there's this separation in our society. So we don't get to see the shedding of blood, and many of us live in probably this almost alternate reality where we don't even acknowledge that in order for us to have the bacon we had this morning or the chicken that we're going to eat tonight, something had to die. Now, if we, if we like went back in time a couple generations, like if we could go this morning, I wish we could because I'd put them up on stage and interview them, but if we could go back and hang out with my grandparents or great-grandparents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, and they were going to have a chicken dinner this evening, how would they have that chicken dinner? They'd have to kill the chicken. And then they'd pluck the chicken, and then they'd fillet the chicken or cut the chicken and, and process the chicken, and then they'd... I mean, it's, it's a process. So, the, so in generations past, uh, our society has been very connected to the reality of death, the shedding of blood, and that all of us as humans, in order to continue and sustain our life, something, whether plant or animal, must die so that we can live. Okay, you're following me. Now, if you approach the Bible, and you just open the Bible, and your entire frame of reference is American cellophane society or cellophane Christianity, and you have no uh, respect of, I'm wearing leather shoes, that means something had to die. I'm wearing a leather belt. That means something had to. We're going to have a meal this evening where we eat some portion of meat or even vegetables, and that means something had to so that I can. So in this society, we often approach things, and we can roll up to a window, and so they say, it's my pleasure to serve you. What would you like? And we tell them what we'd like, and then they give it to us, and then what do we do? We munch down on that chicken and don't even think about it. But the reality is, in order for our life on planet Earth to be sustained from the very beginning of time, something has to die so that we can consume it and live. If that's news to you and if I've offended you, I know a lot of great pastors and great churches in the city. 
I'm, I'm teasing, don't be offended. By but I really do. <laughs> okay. So uh, now, in the Old Testament, um, the, something gets opened um, because what God intended with this covenant of circumcision. So in the Old Testament and in this day and age in history, it would have been very natural. Everyone knew that if a covenant or a promise or an if agreement is entered into, you enter into it by blood. And if one person doesn't uphold the promise, what do you do to him? I mean, it's just, it's, it's real black and white. It's real simple. It's just like, this is the way it is. Um, so <clears throat> it, God enters into this promise, and the sign of the promise uh, indicates or includes the shedding of blood with Abraham. Okay, great. That's established. Then this guy named Moses comes along, and Stephen actually preaches about it in um, Acts chapter 7. You can read it if you want to read that whole chapter. The guy named Moses comes along, and he's delivered a secondary promise by God. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. And in the Mosaic Covenant, we are made right with God through the shedding of blood uh, of a lamb or of a goat, generally speaking. Now, several thousand years later, a fully God, fully man uh, person comes to earth. His name is King Jesus, and he actually fulfills the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, and he becomes the Lamb of God. Why is he called the Lamb of God? Because he is destined to die, so that you and I can take, eat, consume, and live. Okay, you're getting the expanse of Christianity now, okay? <clears throat> so, go with me now uh, to Deuteronomy. See if I can find it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the fifth book in the Bible. All of these guys that Stephen is speaking to in Acts chapter 7 would have had this fully memorized. Go to Deuteronomy um, chapter 10. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just flip if you're in your Bible. If you're scrolling on your phone, Deuteronomy is D-E-U-T-E-R, and it should come up. Okay, I'm in Deuteronomy 10, and I'm just going to read verse 12 and 13. We good? Okay, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? So what's that, what's that saying? If you want to walk with Yahweh God, you must obey him. Okay, now skip down to verse 16. Oh, there's that word again. What's that word? Circumcise your hearts. Now, what I want, this is so important because I want you to begin to get something. There's a covenant of circumcision that is strictly Old Testament, and, uh, but God intended from the very beginning of the Old Testament that the covenant of circumcision would be an external, come on, sign of a internal reality. Okay, you got it. So it's an external sign of an internal reality. So right here, he says, circumcise your hearts. Oh, okay. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked. So when Stephen says, go back to Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. What is everyone in the room thinking? Deuteronomy 10. They didn't have verses then, but they're thinking the scroll of Deuteronomy, and they're going, this guy is educated. This guy understands the Mosaic law. This guy is speaking to us. He is condemning us. And he's actually in a place where he's being judged. But suddenly in this moment, Stephen, this kind of young whippersnapper, new in the faith, takes his place and he becomes judge. And the great Sanhedrin is now sitting under his judgment. Like it's actually amazing. And they know exactly what he's saying Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, almighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Okay. Keep going in Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's to the right, if you're flipping. If you're scrolling, 3 zero. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. I'm going to give you just a second to get there. Uh, 
Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will... Oh, there it is again. Circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. Now, I want you to think, and I'm not going to turn there. There's so much scripture and passage here, but I want you to think when Jesus is approached in the gospels and they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? It's a trap. They think they can get Jesus, right? What's the greatest commandment? And what does he say back? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then as he answer that question, he takes it a step further and he goes, and the second commandment is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. So what is beginning to happen is he is actually fulfilling. Jesus is beginning to say, I am that I am. I am God. I am here. I am the Lamb of God. I am coming to fulfill the old covenant. Circumcise therefore your hearts. That's what Jesus is beginning to institute. So in Deuteronomy, what we begin to see is the circumcision of the heart is a commitment to walk in obedience to the Lord, okay? It, it, to consecrate yourself, to love God, to serve him. Um, and, and we therefore begin to understand that circumcision of the heart is an inner commitment that reflects itself in an outward act. Follow me? Okay. Um, so what I want you to understand right from the beginning is God never intended that all of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant would be merely an external act. He wants it to be an external act that is a representative of internal reality. That's what he's about. God is a God of the heart. And what, what we know now is what a person thinks and believes and who they are inside when you put them in a situation, guess what comes out? The reality of what's in their heart. We are what is in our hearts. Okay, now let's change sort of the rhetoric here for a minute and let's look at what in the world then is circumcision of the heart in the New Testament. I'm not going to take you here. We're going to look at it in a few weeks in the book of Acts. But actually the apostles get in a huge fight. Do you believe church leaders would ever fight? I mean, isn't that such a crazy idea? I mean, what in the world? But anyway, the apostles, the church leaders in the book of Acts get in a big fight. And guess what? It's over. What's this word we're on today? Circumcision. And you got a bunch of people going, well, you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And then you got a bunch of others going, no, 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 no. You can't put the old law of Moses on us because our God has saved us by faith alone, by grace alone, through Jesus alone, not through works. Because if we can work our way to God, then Christianity becomes like every other religion under the face of the sun. And what's amazing about Christianity, it is the only faith anywhere you will find. Search them all, look at them all, stand in them all, go be in them all. And I promise you, it is the only faith anywhere where you have God Almighty who comes and becomes a substitutionary, atoning sacrifice on Michael's behalf and your behalf because you and I can't do it. Every other faith is our attempt to clean up the exterior and do certain things and uphold tenets and whatever so that we can earn our way to God. It's very different. So, as it turns out in the, in the book of Acts, we're going to see later as we keep going through it, the ones who say, no, 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 you can't impose the Old Testament covenant on us because we are free in Christ. It's about circumcising the heart. Okay, now... Let me also introduce something else. I'm not going to turn here, but Galatians 3.28. Here's what it says. Paul's writing. I love Paul. Paul's the one who kills Stephen. We're going to talk more about that in the days and weeks ahead in the book of Acts. But Galatians 3.28, Paul's writing, and he says, <clears throat> um, There is neither male nor female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. Now, this is very important because circumcision initially would have been reserved for Jews, but also for males. So when Paul begins to introduce this, what he is actually saying is, under God, before Jesus, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, so even ethnic differences. No, no, no. Everything is leveled before God. So, are women called to be circumcised in heart? Yes, that's what's happening here. It's very important that you get that. Okay, so what in the world then, go back to Acts 7, 
And actually, I'm going I'm to take you to the book of Romans. So after the book of Acts comes a book called Romans. Paul also wrote it. If you're scrolling, this is much easier for you. If you're flipping, I'm sorry. You're back in the book of Acts. Go a little bit to the right and you get in the book of Romans, chapter 2. Paul's writing again. Are you ready? All right, verse 28. Romans chapter 2, I still hear pages flipping, so I'm going to hang. I love that we're a church that carries our Bibles. No condemnation if you're a scroller. It's all good. Ready? Romans chapter 2, verse 28. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. He's talking about an ethnicity right there. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. What's Paul introducing? Circumcision of the heart. Okay. Verse 29. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, that's capital S Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. In other words, what does God measure? The heart. The heart. That's what he's looking for. Okay, so circumcision in the New Testament. Let me just kind of plow through this. Um, I believe, and everything I would take from the scriptures, what is circumcision of the heart in the New Testament? Number one, it's for male and female. Number two, it's a humility and a dependence on the person of Jesus and not on myself. That's a circumcised heart. Number three, it's the belief that I am justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and not in my good works or my performance. Follow me? So, Flip it. Michael, are you telling me that if someone believes they can be justified or made right with God and earn their way into salvation or earn their way into heaven because of their good works that they are not circumcised of heart? Everybody shake your head. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Next thing, what is circumcision of heart? From the very words of Christ, it's denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following after Jesus. Number five, what's circumcision of the heart? The Holy Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you are a child of God. The sixth thing I would say is my heart is circumcised by the love of God. In, in the book of James, it actually says God is love. Therefore, if God is in me and I am in him, when I am full of the spirit, I am also walking in so I've been circumcised by love, and what I'm even distributing to people around me is the fullness of love. So now flip that. Michael, are you telling me if I'm impatient and angry that I'm not being circumcised by love? You just repent. Are you going to be perfect? No. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. But you just repent. You go, Lord, would you forgive me? The seventh thing I'd say is my heart is circumcised by the joy of the Lord in all circumstances. I'm not going to go into this deeply, but we've got a little girl that's been in pediatric ICU this week. A couple points I went, mm. and then I went, Lord Jesus, I humble myself, I bow my knee, would you forgive me? And I choose to thank you and be circumcised by joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And trust what you're doing in her heart, in her life, and in our family's heart and life. Make sense? The eighth thing is, I think it's the cutting away of my flesh so that the life of the Holy Spirit may live in me and through me. Just really quickly, Jesus uses in Greek the word autos, Matthew 16, 24. If you want to make a note, I'm not going to go there. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must deny their autos, must be circumcised of heart, must have their autos cut away, their self cut away. They can then take up their cross and follow me. Paul uses the Greek word sarks, but it's flesh. If we put it in like modern psychological terms, it would be called your false self, your, your sinful self. It's the self that must be cut away, circumcised of heart. Okay. Now, I want you to think about something as I flip this. The mission of Saltbox here, this church, is to lead people to become fully surrendered disciples of Christ. We could have said, get them saved, get their hearts circumcised, and get them sanctified. 
And everybody would have gone, that's weird. But guess what? That's actually to lead people to become fully surrendered disciples of Christ. What are we leading them into? To take up their cross, to experience circumcision of the heart, to begin to practice the presence of God, to begin a relationship with him where they abide in his person and live love, live joy, live peace, live hope out loud as we go about our days and our ways. And then you'll know that this is a people that is circumcised of heart. All right, let's flip it again. How can I know if I'm refusing circumcision of the heart? How do I know? Well, if you're not a Christian, you've got to start there, okay? Start by giving your life to Jesus. You can come down afterwards, and I'll lead you through a supernatural prayer. No magic words. But how do you know if I'm refusing a circumcision in my heart? Number one, I would resist God's voice, direction, conviction, or leadership. Number two, I'm stubborn against the things of God and the things of God's people. Number three, I would resist the Holy Spirit of God. And probably the main thing, number four, I would prefer to manage the way I appear on the outside rather than deal with the condition of my true heart on the inside. So let me ask a better question here because I think I'm going to like reinfuse the room with some grace. Does anyone not resist the Holy Spirit at points? Does anyone not? No, we all resist the Holy Spirit. We all resist the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a real simple litmus test for me. When I am excessively grumpy with my Abby and my little ones, I go, warning. I'm not living love. I'm not living humility. I'm not living joy. I'm not living in the person and presence of Jesus. Now, could I be tired or hungry? Yeah, all that stuff's true. But if you really dig down in my heart, when I am being ugly, impatient, frustrated, whatever I'm being, um, I am generally at some point where I'm resisting the ongoing circumcision of Michael's heart. Circumcision of the heart begins at salvation. Here's the grace. <laughs> but it's not a one-time process. It's an ongoing, everyday process. And the work of transformation, we could also say the work of sanctification, we could also say the work of the circumcision of the human heart is a work that only God can do, and he will continue to do it in you and I until he molds us fully into the image of Christ Jesus. It is a lifelong process that will happen and continue to happen until you breathe your last and cross the finish line into the arms of King Jesus in eternity. So breathe deep. The truth is, biblically, we do not have the ability to circumcise our own hearts. That must be done by God himself through the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, you go, well, Michael, how do I do it then? You give God access to allow him to do the work he desires to do in you. You must engage your will. So get real practical. Michael's little girl and Abby's little girl were in um, pediatric ICU this week. Is God circumcising a part of Michael's heart? Everybody shake your head. Yes. And I can either bow my knee in humility and contrition and agreement, or I can rise up and get angry or frustrated or be full of self-pity and mopey or however you choose to deal with your, you know, difficulty. Does that make sense? You must engage your will. When God does a circumcision of the heart, he's not concerned with how you look outwardly. He's more concerned with um, how you are inwardly because God knows that a true change takes place inside and will then ultimately be reflected outside. So let me flip it and put it to you this way, and I'm going to tie this up. You are not born again in Jesus, John 3, because you change your behavior. Correct? Yes, that's right. Your salvation, or you being born uh, again, is because God changes your heart, and ultimately, as God changes your heart and transforms you and forms Jesus inside of you, uh, this transformation takes place that will ultimately be reflected in your external behavior. But if you start the other way around, you're into religion and performance and not into Jesus and grace. You follow me? I'm dug in deep into like the truth of Jesus and the gospel here. When the Spirit of God transforms you through the circumcision of the heart, you become a new creation in Christ. Back to Charles Spurgeon. The best people are people at best.
And apart from the inward work of the Holy Spirit and the power of divine grace, hell itself does not contain greater monsters than you and I might become. Worship team, would you come out? Lord Jesus, let's just close our eyes here for a minute. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are king. Father, we've gotten our hands into your word. We've tried to get our minds and our hearts around something massive. And Father, that's the reality from Genesis to Revelation that what you are about is a people, men, women, young people, all people that would be circumcised of heart. So Holy Spirit, on this Sunday, we give you permission to come into this church, this place, this time, this space, and to circumcise our hearts. Just as circumcision was painful in the Old Testament physically, Lord, I believe that there are parts of us taking up our cross and following after you that have portions of pain and discomfort. And Father, I pray that we as a church would be increasingly a church of people who are experiencing full surrendered posture of heart and full discipleship of Jesus being formed in us. Father, we love you. We praise you. We believe in you. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward for this final closing song. If you just come on up, you don't have to be shy. If you need special prayer for anything, if this has hit a nerve inside of you and you want one of us to pray with you, these are just people walking with Jesus, choosing to surrender their hearts and lives to him. If you're online or if you're in the room and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to come up here and pray with us. If you're online, put your name in the chat and we'll have to get in touch with you. This is the way of Jesus. Let's stand together and we'll worship. Don't you get shy of me 
as a church, for those of us who are already in Christ and Christ is in us, Lord, I pray that you would lead us deeper into the circumcision of our own hearts. Father, would you lead us deeper into practicing your presence, abiding in the finished work of the cross, not working for, but rather working from, not working for your approval, but working with you, alongside of you, because you've already worked on our behalf. Father, would you send us out on this day? Lord, would you form Jesus within us? Father, for those here in this room who may not have given their life to you, may not have been born again, those online may be listening or even listening in arrears. Father, I pray that you would lead them into a saving knowledge and a saving surrender of their heart and their life to you, King Jesus. Father, would you bless this community of believers as they go out today? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? And they, may they be more aware of your person, your presence, your voice, your leadership, and your direction. May we be found in you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.